If you got a Bible nearby, let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, really, really good foundation for tonight, established by the songs that the band uh, has led us in. Um, I feel like... Uh, I feel like the Spirit really, really guides um, the putting together of uh, these Sunday night gatherings with the songs and stuff like that. And there are plenty of times when I feel like Cody and I should communicate more about things. And uh, it's funny how the Spirit doesn't really care if we communicate very much. Uh, he's going to get uh, what he wants out of these gatherings, whether we are responsible or not. So it's good that even when... Regardless of where we are in our communication, the Spirit is always going to make it happen. So uh, we're going to bring the lights up a little bit. Johnny B, ready to go. There he is, one section, two sections. Give it up for Johnny B on the lights. My man, my man. Um, glad that he's back with us. He went on a skiing adventure uh, where he went skiing on a bike. Is that right? It's like a bicycle on skis. <laughs> While you're skiing? Oh, okay. We're glad you're back with us. Um, 2 Corinthians 10. Uh, so in this letter, um, there's been... Uh, all right, so Paul uh, establishes the church in Corinth and is with them for a year and a half, uh, brings people into a relationship with Jesus, disciples them, trains leaders, and whenever the Spirit told him it's time to move to another place, he kind of handed the reins uh, to the elders there. He goes uh, somewhere else to do the same thing, and then he continues his uh, kind of mentoring discipleship relationship with them from from far away. And he, uh, he made some visits, he wrote some letters, they had people come and visit him, and so um, here's this church that he has established and invested himself into, and God has allowed him to continue to kind of pastor them just from afar. Uh, so when he leaves, uh, there was kind of this power struggle that went on. And there were some, uh, some folks came in into the city that were claiming to also be apostles. They were claiming to also be doing what Paul was doing. Um, and they were, uh, well, well, we'll get to them in a little bit. But basically... Um, they were not sent from God. Uh, they had found a way to make money off of people uh, and the fact that people are sometimes kind of dumb and will fall for anything. And so they would come into these into this city and try to kind of create their own their own cult and and kind of just rally up their own following and all this kind of stuff. And so they get to Corinth and they realize that that Paul had been there and Paul had something good going. And so now that he was gone, it was kind of a perfect opportunity for them to come in and kind of take over his congregation, so to speak. And so um, what they had to do, though, was they had to uh, basically get the people to stop trusting Paul as a, as a leader and start trusting them. And so they just found uh, it was come up with all these reasons to kind of cheap shot him and make fun of him, um, but all as a means of trying to take the legitimacy right out of, of everything he was doing and trying to make him look like the false one in their eyes. And then as soon as they question his leadership, then these 
folks would come in or whatever. And so uh, here's this church who's probably a little bit confused because you know they're they're new to the faith and all this stuff. And the guy who was with them for a year and a half uh, has now moved on, and so they're they miss that that relationship. They miss him. They miss having someone there that they can trust. And here these new people come in. They're saying bad things about him, and it was just just all this this mess went on. And so uh, there was just a lot of drama and a lot of fighting for power that had happened. Um, interwoven with that is just normal issues of sin and rebellion and you know stupidity and all that kind of stuff. And so there's just kind of this 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 really weird vibe uh, within uh, Corinth in general, of course, but also within you know among the Christians. There's a lot of division stuff. So Paul's letter was one of a series of letters that kind of was helping to work through those issues. He tried to show up in person previously. Uh, to deal with some of it, and when he showed up, something super dramatic went down, and we aren't really sure what. We just know that he describes it as being a, a painful visit, uh, painful for him, obviously painful for the church as well. Um, and so, at this point in, in the letter, um, this is like a series of, of letters back and forth. He's finally found out that um, that everything is better on on the church end. That uh, the division that was there, and they weren't real sure about him. Um, and a lot of people kind of fell for these uh, false prophets that had come in. They were starting to believe them and question Paul's leadership, too, and everything. Uh, the, the Spirit had worked things out. Um, the Spirit that dwelt in, in all of them uh, had worked some things out. Paul had sent Titus to bring, to bring the, uh, another letter and to help kind of give some leadership to it and whatever. And so through the Spirit directly, through Titus and through whatever, uh, things, were, things are good. So by the 10th chapter... Um, that we know all that stuff. We know everything that's happened, all the drama, and uh, that that things are better, and all this kind of stuff. And so the last two chapters, he's kind of returned to okay. So now that we know that all that's that's fine in chapters uh, one through uh, seven, chapter eight, chapter nine, he's like okay. Now before everything went crazy, we were taking up this offering for uh, the churches in Jerusalem, uh, for the Christians in Jerusalem who are experiencing all kinds of persecution and. Um, they are being uh, just blackballed by the city, completely unable to eat, unable to just have all these problems. So the churches in the region are collecting money to send to them so that they can eat and have shelter and stuff. So we're going to take care of them because we're all we're all one big family. We're just kind of spread out. And so when one hurts, we all hurt. And so when one has a need, we all do what we can to meet that need. And so he's kind of covered that issue as well. And then chapter 10, he shifts gears into uh, into like, aggressive Paul uh, because now he's like okay so now we've, we've talked about I, I've written to you in my heart for you as the church in Corinth and the people there and your hearts and the condition there and, and we're good you're good God has done incredible things among you we've talked about the offering now and how we need to get that back going again um, now let's talk about what we're going to do about these false prophets now let's talk about what we're going to do about the fact that people have come into your city and are lying and people are believing them and what it's doing to the, the spiritual atmosphere that's going on there. And he's already worked through it so that the people in the church aren't believing what they're saying anymore. And so now it's like, okay, well now, now we're going to talk about what we're going to do about it. So I just be like, those guys, all the, they're so silly. Don't believe them. He's like, no, no. That's, we got to do something. He says, and and he's like, I'm I'm on my way. Like I'm going to be there shortly, and when I get there, it's on. And so you better be ready. So that's what that's what chapter ten is. I like it. All right, starting verse one. 
We're just going to look at the first six verses. That's it. Does I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I who am humble and face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away? I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness in such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Dude, can you hear it? I mean, can you sense it? If you've been here the last couple of weeks, and Paul's, I mean, he's so compassionate and he loves them, and, all, and that, it just comes out so much in his letter, and now like, you can tell he's a little ticked. But it's not, he's not in like self-defense mode. You know, he's like, what are we going to do with these guys have been talking bad about me? It's, it's, he's, he's not, that's not where he is. It's not how he looks at things. Um, Paul has this, this lens, and we've talked about it several times. Like he looks at people and he looks at situations just through this lens that's so challenging. And it's because he, he understands life in the kingdom. When Jesus says the kingdom is at hand, that this new way of thinking and living and existing um, is now available to you. It used to not be available because of sin, but now sin has been, you know, the power of sin has been taken away, and now you're reconnected to the Lord. And so now the kingdom of God is now accessible to you. You don't have to think the way the world does. You don't have to talk the way the world does. You don't have to um, conduct business the way the world does. You don't have to, to function in the way that anybody else does. This is, like, this is your new reality. And so for Paul, I, you know, come in and talk bad about me all you want, whatever. He saw something going on in the big picture, and that's what he's ready to take on. Let's start back at verse 1, just go a little, little at a time. As I, Paul, myself, entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Uh, up until this point, the there's been a lot of like real inclusive language in his letter. Uh, lots, of, uh, lots of we, lots of us. Um, a lot of times he's speaking about, he had this old delegation uh that was kind of like his, um, his, his like partners in ministry. She had him and Timothy and Titus and Silas, you know, and she had this little crew. And so a lot of times he would say, you know, our ministry and, and what God is doing among us. And sometimes it, he, he was just real inclusive of that little group. Here in chapter 10, uh, he, it's all like, it's, he's like, this is me talking, you know. Did you ever, like, whenever you get in trouble when you're a kid, did your parents ever, like, make you look him in the eye? Oh, chilling. Like, look me in the eye. Look at me. Look at me. Those words haunt me. I have issues. I'm okay. Uh, but there's, like, when you want somebody's attention, you want to really hear what you're saying, That like, that's that's what you do. You're like, look at me. Or, you know, George Bush, like, read my lips. Like, there's just something, you're like, I want you to listen to what I'm telling you. And that's what he does in this first part of the letter. I, Paul, myself, entreat you. And that kind of had to like perk the ears up a little bit of those who were who were reading the letter. It says, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Now, we're going to come back to this unless I forget. Uh, and if I forget, I'll try to remember next week. Uh, there's a lot of stuff I write down that I never get around to. 
Um, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Um, meekness uh, is not... Uh, people tend to think of that as that's like, like Jesus was a wimp, you know? Uh, and sometimes, I mean, even the... the the art that we see depicting Christ, you know, historically, like has him looking like super skinny and frail and just like, I don't know, crying, you know, all the time or whatever, or like holding children or holding a lamb with a broken leg around his neck, you know, and all that stuff. And he's always white, looks like Travis Tritt. You know, like it's just kind of always the same. Uh, and I think that, I think there's a little bit that when we see, when we think meekness, like we think like Jesus the wuss a little bit. And meekness has nothing, like it is, Meekness is is not the same thing as weakness. Um, uh, meekness is like when, like it's that like enduring ridiculousness from from people who like don't know any better, you know. So meekness would be the, all right. So Jesus is on trial, right? And they're 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 hitting him, they're spitting on him, and they're making fun of him, and all this kind of stuff. And it says that like, he like he never said a word. Like, he, he possessed all this authority, but he, he didn't have the need to, like, rub it in their face and, like, cause all this friction and whatever, and, like, defend himself, ugh, whatever. He's just like, I completely know who I am. I know what I'm here to do. And whatever you say about me, it doesn't matter because um, you don't determine who I am. Like, that's what meekness is. There's just this confidence that's there. It's like, you know what? Um, you... You're treating me in a way that, like, it makes sense that you treat me this way because you're separate from God. And when you're separate from God, you're completely self-centered. And not that you're judging people or whatever, but you just understand how things work. And you're like, of course you're treating me this way. And so Jesus, you know, had all this authority and just didn't have the need to, like, boast about it or he wasn't arrogant about it. And that's Paul as well. And so he's looking at Christ and he's like, look how Jesus was in the face of people treating him this way. He just... He stood his ground. He was a man about it. He did what he needed to do. And as long as the Father was pleased with him, that's the only person who, whose opinion mattered. And so Paul's like claiming that for himself. The Christ in me is meek. The Christ in me is, is gentle. That's how Jesus dealt with people who came against him. And it's almost like he's like just like wrapping himself in that as he gets into this topic. So he's like, I, I Paul, um, and I'm claiming the meekness and the gentleness of Christ as I, as I, like shift gears into this this deal. Um, so I'm going to come back to that in a second. Um, it says, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward toward you when I'm away. That part of the a deal, like, I, I don't know. I, I, if he was, let's put it like this. If he was giving this as a speech, he would use like air quotes on that part. Like he would say like, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold Toward you when I'm away, and this is why, because those were the accusations like coming against him by his opponents. Like some of what they were stirring up is everyone's like, "Have you ever noticed how like when he's around you, like he's like pretty chilled out and like not you know not real aggressive, not kind of whatever." But when he writes these letters, he's always like, "I am Paul, and I have authority." And oh, no, no, have you ever noticed he's like two completely different people? Like he's like super awesome and, and strong with a pen, but he's like totally a wuss in public. You ever noticed that? You ever seen how he's totally different people like that? Isn't that weird? Don't you think that means he's probably like not really legitimate? Like, don't you think whoever he is in person is probably different? You know, and that kind of stuff. And that's what they were doing. Is they were saying, have you ever noticed this, this, this? So the accusations against him, he's like, yeah, guess what? I'm the one who's like super humble in your presence and bold when I'm writing. That's me. 
That's his way of saying, like, I know, I know what they're saying about me. I know what you've heard. I know what some of you have repeated. I know what some of you have believed about me. I'm, that's, that's me. I'm the one, and I'm claiming, like, the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I'm the one who's bold when away from you and humble when I'm with you. That's me. And so he's just pretty much letting them know, like, I'm fully aware of what's being said about me, and I really don't care. Um, verse 2 says, I beg of you that when I'm present, I may, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. Um, he's like, look, I, I hope that when I show up that my interaction with you as my like church family is different from the way it's going to be with the people who've been talking trash about me. Like, I hope I don't have to show up and kind of handle business with you, too. Um, and that's that's kind of a strong, strong word. And he's kind of letting them know, like, look, if you haven't dealt with your issues toward me, you better do it because I'm about to, I'm, I'm coming. And I'm not going to put up with, with this kind of stuff anymore. And he's about to explain why. He's basically saying, look, I'm going to show up, and it, it, it's not going to be what you think it's going to be. Um, there's something that needs to be handled, and so I hope that hope that you're with me in this. Uh, he says, uh, says that some of them, the people he's going to be show boldness toward are those uh, who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. All right now, this is this is an interesting point in the letter because what he's essentially saying is that the the accusation about him being one way in his letters and a different way in person, that's he kind of makes fun of that argument. Like, in the way that he kind of works that in there. That's why I said he would use air quotes. Like, he's kind of mocking them a little bit. He mocks them through exclamation point in the text. Uh, and so he's sort of like, okay, that's kind of pathetic. Um, but here's, here's the thing that gets me, is that they uh, are accusing me of walking according to the flesh. And this, this verse, and the next couple of verses, when he says... According to the flesh, we're not talking about like the flesh versus the spirit as much as it is the sense of, of living living like the rest of the world lives. And so he said they're they're basically saying that I am behaving and I'm conducting myself in a manner that is no different from anybody else out there. That I'm acting just like the rest of the world instead of acting like Christ. And he gets super riled up about this. And so I think at first, like when I, you know, was studying through it or whatever, and I was like, okay, well, you know, what, is it, what does it matter? What does it matter what they're saying about you? Who, who really cares? Well, where he's about to go, in the, it kind of explains that. And so uh, it's really important that we understand why he took things so personally to the point where he was like, we need to do something about this. He was... He looks at his life and his behavior, and he's he's like us, right? I mean, he's he's trying, you know. He's he's abiding. He's relying on the Lord. He's trying to he's trying to be obedient. He has his ups and his downs, um, but he's he's trying to progressively become more and more like like Jesus, right? That's the same thing for you and I. I know we tend to think that Paul is like this super rock star, and he's super rock star in his obedience, and we should admire him and stuff like that. But he's not in a different boat than you and I. We're all in the same exactly situation and so um so god's using him to do great things god's using you to to do great things it's all the same stuff and so 
here he is looking at his life, and he's like, okay, so you're there walking around saying stuff about me that I act, act one way and you know, whatever, all kinds of stuff. But what they're really getting down to is the fact that they think they're saying that I act just like the rest of the world, as if the Spirit has not done in me what I know the Spirit has done in me. This is, you know, it's one thing to make fun of me. It's a different thing to say that God has not done what God has done. And that will not be tolerated. And I was like, I was like reading these commentaries, and that just kept coming up. And I was like, really? Like, that's, that's his reaction to people saying, eh, that dude's acting like he's not even, not even a Christian. My reaction would be like, what? You want to make something of it? Like, I'll prove you how Christian I am. Uh, I'll cut your ear off. It's in the Bible. Um, but he, he didn't really care that they were making fun of him. And me, like, that would, like, that would be the, the thing with me. And, I mean, I'm a recovering approval uh, addict, you know, so, like, I'm working on that. So that's why it would be weird for me, you know. Um, but he, for him, he's like, no, no, the thing that's ridiculous is that you're basically saying God didn't do that. And God did do that. And so you're calling God a liar. And you don't call God a liar. Okay. So what are we going to do about it? He explains it a little bit more. Verse 4. Or actually verse 5. As though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Alright? So remember, in the flesh means with, like in, in, on the earth, in this world. Okay, so he's like, yeah, we live in this in the world, but we don't wage war in the way that the world wages it. So they're coming after me with uh, slander and lies and all this kind of stuff. And so when I show up, you know what I'm not going to do? Walk around and slander them and lie about them. We're not going to schedule a debate and have like you know back and forths on that and my team versus their team, and we're going to see who's right. Uh, we're not going to fight them. We're not going to start a smear campaign. We're not going to make signs and protest and be ridiculous. Like that's not, that's not how this is going to work. And this is why, verse four, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We take thought every captive to obey, every thought captive. To obey Christ. So yeah, look back at verse four. Weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. They okay, saying what's really going on here with these false prophets has nothing to do with the false prophets themselves. It's not the people. And that's why he doesn't name any of their names. He's not like when I show up. You have this dude and this dude and this dude and this lady and this lady. You have them tied up, bound and gagged, sitting in the room because we're going to waterboard them. And like, no. Because the war that's going on here is not, is not a war that exists uh, here in, in the flesh, in the, in the world as we know it. And since the war is not like that, we're not going to fight war, wars the way that people tend to fight wars. We're not going to handle them the way that most people would handle conflict. Because it's happening in a, in a realm that is one that we can't see, and that makes it much more spirit, much more serious. Because spiritual battles require spiritual weapons, and so you probably know from Sunday school, or even from I talked about it on Halloween Sunday. Sounds weird to say, 
this past you know time about the you know the armor of God and all that kind of stuff and this is you know same same author and all that uh, and what he's getting down to he's like look don't trick yourself into thinking that these people are the enemies that they are the bad guys because they're just people and if you look at, at the the whole collection of Paul's writings you know how he feels about people people are created in God's image people are are ones who need redemption they're separate from God because of sin and Jesus died to rejoin them through faith in him and that exchange life uh, um, that he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God and we talked about exchange I mean, that's that applies to the same people who are coming in and lying about him and dragging his name through the mud and trying to cause all this division when he looks at the person he understands of course they're acting that way they don't know Jesus. Of course they're acting more. The meekness and gentleness of Christ. That's why he sat there and let those guys hit him. That's why he said, uh, remember, uh, Father, forgive them. But they don't know what they do. Literally, they don't know what they do. And so Paul's not going to get this church all stirred up. To go out and get these guys who are causing trouble and just put them out, you know, like just take care of them. It's like, no, we're, what we're dealing with is bigger than this. It's not just bigger than this in the sense that, um, like, we can't see it. It's bigger than this in the sense of the damage that's that's happening around us. So spiritual war has spiritual weapons. And we know that to be to be prayer, to be the God, to be God's word, to be faith. To be salvation, to be uh, all the all the things that, that come together. So that's how we're going to fight this. Look at look at what he says that the, our weapons have divine power to destroy strongholds. Divine power. We're talking in community groups, studying attributes of God, and every single week it comes down to like basically two things. God is infinitely, like, infinite, right? infinitely whatever the subject is that night and he's also uh, like tremendously personal at the same time so God can exist outside of time and yet absolutely know uh, every moment as it unfolds in your life that he can be everywhere at one time fully present just as present in this room as he is in heaven right now at this moment that we don't have to come in here and say, uh, let's let's welcome God to this place. No, He was already here. We're just, we're just now we're just cluing in to how near He is. So it's like let's let's shed our ignorance is what we should be saying instead of like we welcome you, God. And he's like, oh, okay, thanks. Divine power. So this unstoppable, infinite power to destroy strongholds. And so stronghold is one of those weird words that kind of gets thrown around and means like different things and different people are kind of strange about it sometimes. Some people are just are awesome about it and whatever. I think the best way to think about a stronghold is, is exactly what the word looks like. Like I could bring Hank up here and I could I could put him in a hold that he could not get out of. And there's nothing he could do about it. 
And so I could put him in a stronghold, and I could say, I could say, Hank, cry like a little girl, and I'll let you go. And he would have to cry like a little girl until I decided to let him go, right? Where is he? Is he awake? Where is he? He's not here? I saw him earlier. I'm sorry. I always crack on Hank. He's somewhere. Maybe he's in the nursery. If he's in the nursery, I'm sorry. Uh, I got... I used to always like challenge Hank, just tell him how I, I could out, like, outrun him in a foot race and stuff like that, and he'd always get so mad, like, like want to go out in the street and race, you know? Like, I'm not gonna go race you, uh, anyway. Um, but but a stronghold, I and mean, think about it in those in those terms, okay? But think about it as far as like, like, the things that that have this stronghold that that keep um, that keep the gospel. From going forward through the church as effectively as it should. All right. Now I, I fully believe that the gospel is unstoppable. The good news of Christ is unstoppable. Um, but God has like chosen to use the church uh, as uh, the church and the scriptures, all that infused by the Spirit, to spread that gospel around the world. Right. So that's why that's why we go. Uh, across the world, across the hall. It doesn't really matter. That's why, that's why we go and we're obedient and we're faithful and, and all that. And so, um, strongholds are the things that, that in the spirit realm, um, like the devil and all that kind of stuff or whatever, uh, these are, are the th- things that are constructed, so to speak, um, to wage war against that gospel spreading. All right. And nut sounds really weird to think about that. Um, but that's, I mean, there's a war going on. We may not live like there's a war going on, but there's a war going on. Um, our entire planet is at war. And sometimes the only thing that makes us aware of that is the gas price going up and down, right? But there's war. And spiritually, sometimes the only thing that makes us aware of the fact that there's a war going on uh, in the spirit realm is when just, like, Things just hit the fan, and you're like, oh, oh my gosh, oh yeah, that's right. I have an enemy. He's trying to, like, he hates the gospel and hates the church and hates me. Um, and all of a sudden, you're incredibly aware of that. And so Paul is like, okay, let's not forget that, like, our weapons, divine power, that destroy strongholds. They don't just like help you get free. They destroy the stronghold itself. And so if we're thinking strongholds in terms of like things that. Um, things that are going on in the spirit realm that frustrate the church and the spread of the gospel, and that, that's, that's what's going on. So he's saying in our, in our city, in Corinth, this, these false teachers have come in and they have spread lies and they've been used by the enemy to frustrate the church, and that slows down the gospel from being lived and spread in our city. And so the implications of these guys coming in, it's a lot, it's more going on than being like, hey, uh, let's try to discredit Paul. He's really saying like, hey, let's slow the gospel down in this city. Let's slow the transformation into Christ-likeness that this city needs. And that's why he's like, we're not going to just look the other way. We're not going to try to just get rid of these guys and send them on to the next town. We're going to try to, we're going to destroy the strongholds that are being constructed. And that's what he says in the, in the next verse. Um, verse 5, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. So they're, they're, they're spreading all these lies, and so these, like, these things are being constructed. And, and some of the stuff I was reading was talking about how much like, warfare like, 
like the terminology and stuff that's being used in the Greek, it's just it has a lot to do to do with war. And they were describing strongholds as like like if you ever see like whenever you watch like Lord of the Rings or any sort of like big like battle scene kind of deals, um, if they're trying to take take a castle or take some whatever, and they'll like they'll like build these big tall deals, right? And they'll like roll them in on these big wheels that are bigger than any wheel ever, you know. But they'll like wheel these things in and stuff, and they're catapulting stuff and they're shooting arrows from the top of them and all this kind of stuff. Like those are these these structures that are they're constructed to try and take down whatever it is you're trying to destroy. And they kind of equate those to, to strongholds. Like the, in the spirit realm, um, these these like false teachers and false ideas about God will come in, and, and the, the enemy will use these things to to try and attack the church and attack the gospel from being spread. I know it sounds so weird. It sounds weird to me to, to even to say that. Like, yeah, the devil builds these big things. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not trying to blame him for everything because I think we are a tremendous part of the problem. And I think that's ultimately what, where Paul is headed with this. He's like, yeah, there's a devil. And yeah, there are demons. And yeah, they're out there. They don't want the gospel to spread. But they don't want the gospel to spread uh, not by coming in and preaching Satan worship. Right? They don't come in and just preach the other extreme. They come in and just twist the truth about God just a little bit. And that's that's such an effective stronghold. Think about think about our city. Think about Baton Rouge and how like what the stronghold uh, the strongholds are like citywide across the board. Alright? We have we have a lot of issues in our city, but we have too many churches for our city to not look more like Jesus than it does. Don't you think? I had Jonathan, and we were at Parkview. We had him go through the, just a phone book and count them one time, and there were like 1,300 churches in the phone book. We don't have a phone number, so 1,301 at least. Uh, churches in the greater Baton Rouge area. Now, you would think, I mean, if every one of those churches had 10 people going who were sold-out believers, right? I mean, like, we're really going. And those people were all going to work and all this kind of... I mean, shouldn't our city, by this point in history, look like Jesus so much that almost like the city is now, like, it's almost like vacant because everybody's been like, all right, we're all good, we're all good, we're going. Let's get out of here. Let's abandon this place. Other places need what we have. Let's go. But our city doesn't, it doesn't look like that. And I think one of the strongholds that exists is like people in Baton Rouge don't like church people, do they? They don't. And maybe that's with good reason. Maybe they just never gave you a chance or whatever. But a lot of folks are, they're so okay with Jesus and God and heaven and hell. I mean, they get all that, it's fine. But they haven't seen transformation from the Christians in the city. They haven't seen the gospel fleshed out in front of them. They have bad church experiences with pastors and Sunday school teachers, and sometimes they watch their families get hurt by it, or sometimes they just grew up in a religion that was all works and all this kind of stuff. And they're just, just, there's just this religious blah that just blankets the city, it seems like. See, that's, that's a stronghold that we are up against. That the enemy has come in and used stupid preachers and bad Sunday school teachers 
and really catty church people, and they we we just hurt each other and hurt each other and hurt each other, and now there's just this like weird stronghold that's there. And so sometimes when you're you're trying to like like share the gospel or talk to people about life in Christ and what's different stuff like that, that's where that that like oh man that's really cool for you that, that's awesome man I'm glad you found something that you think is cool. And it just never goes. They're never like, I want what you have. Like you rarely have that for some reason. And that's because the strongholds have worked to a degree. And Paul's saying, see, our, we have divine power to destroy those strongholds. And so, for Christians in the city of Baton Rouge, we don't sit here and be like, man, we're up against so much. You might as well quit. No, because we have divine power destroy strongholds that everything that sets up against the knowledge of god every false idea about god we we look at that and we're like okay we're going to tear that, that, that sucker down it's coming down that's what we did in community groups last fall every week false narratives is what we call them we use the good beautiful god book false thinking about god what does jesus reveal that that counters that jesus revealed truth about god we grow up thinking false things about god let's take out the false thing and replace it with the true thing that's strongholds being destroyed and some of you guys were set free from strongholds that you didn't even know were there i was set free from strongholds i didn't even know i was there i wrote read the read the chapter got the group sent the questions wrote the material sometimes was leading the group and it wasn't until like in the middle of a discussion i'm like uh i need uh tissue or something because this is striking deep with me that when, when the time is right, the divine power kicks in and just like tears that sucker down. You're like, all right, there's, there's truth right there. And so that's, that's what we go through. But Paul is pushing them to think outside of their little church here. Saying like, okay, I know that we're good, but guess what? The, the, city, the city's not good. Because these guys have created false thinking about God, and we've got to do something about that. That's That's huge. Look at the look at the next part. Um, when he says, uh, or verse five again, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and take every thought captive to obey Christ. That's that's what we're going for. When in your own experience, when you when you kind of realize I believe something false about God, and the, the divine power comes in and destroys that stronghold, that new thought is being like brought underneath the like the authority of Christ. That's what he's, when he's talking about, it's that war language about like submit every thought, bring under submission to Christ and all that. It's when you went in and you like went in, you conquered a group of people, um, a, a part of that conquest was they now had to answer to your king. But guess what? Who, who's your, who was your king? Okay, he's not your king anymore. My king's your king now. You're now under his authority. And so we take these weird thinkings and be like, uh, does God love me? I don't really understand, whatever. And, and, and that those kind of weird things are like, God only loves you if, if you behave yourself and all this kind of stuff, whatever. And you destroy that and you take that thought of that whatever you're thinking about how God feels about you and you make it submissive to Christ. And so his authority covers that. That's the process of destroying a stronghold. It's basically rip out the lie and replace it with the truth. So we talk about, what does it mean to take thoughts captive? It's like, okay, what does Jesus think about this? Okay. Then I've got to take out what I think and replace it with what he thinks. That's taking a thought captive. It sounds real like 
the series and stuff when people are like, oh, please pray for me, I would take my thoughts captive. You know? That's all that it means. He's like, so that's what we're going to do. And look how he, how he ends it. ends it really weird. Being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. I read that and I was like, what in the world? What he's basically saying is like, look, um, disobedience is going to be dealt with by God. When the church's obedience to destroy the things that have set up against the knowledge of God, when those, when that divine power has destroyed those strongholds and taken those thoughts and made them submissive to Christ, um, when the church has been obedient to do that, then God's going to deal with those who continue to say, nope, 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 nope. But until then, we go. Until then, we recognize that there is a war going on So everything I've, I've said, I, I think, I think where he's going in this chapter, in this introduction, is he's trying to get them to realize, okay, these false teachers didn't just come in and damage you, and they didn't just come in and damage me. They've set up lies about God. And so they've come in and they've said that the Spirit has not done in me what the Spirit has in fact done in me. And you can say whatever you want about me, but you will not come in and lie about God. So we're going to destroy the lies that have been set up. We're going to do that not by fighting them, not by running them out of town. We're going to pray. We're going to love people. We're going to like communicate the truth about God. We're going to call out the lies that have been told. And we're going to walk in the transformation that God brings about in us. And we're not going to put up with people lying about God to the people in our city that Jesus came to die for. We're not going to put up with it. I think there's an obvious challenge to us as Christians in our cities, in our environments, in our workplaces, and all that kind of stuff. As much as we talk about missional living, I think this frames it a little bit differently. Like It should infuriate us that people are believing false things about God, that people are believing lies about who Jesus is and what he's come to do and what and how he feels about them. It shouldn't just make us sad. It should make us sad, but not just sad. I mean, it should it should stir war up in us. Like we should want to fight that in the spirit room. We should be fasting and praying for our co-workers and our neighbors we should be fasting and praying for our city for the spiritual renewal that is here we should be fasting and praying that our city would be transformed by the thousands and thousands of christians who sit in churches every week but we would be transformed to that point where we're like okay we're good let's go to let's go somewhere else it's a big planet let's spread out and we should be praying that his divine power would destroy those strongholds that exist around us. And you know what's crazy? He will use our lives to destroy those things in the lives of other people. And you know how I know it? Because this room is full of people who God used other people to destroy those strongholds. And that's how he works. It's just how he works. It's a huge challenge. 
I love the fact that he's like, you can say anything you want about me, don't you dare lie about God. Maybe maybe the Lord's going to push us uh, to think a little bit different than that too. Let's, let's pray together. Father, uh, thank you. I feel like I say this every week, but thank you for making sure that we uh, we had this letter. Um, I thank you for the, sounds dumb, but the, the scholars who have just poured over these original manuscripts and stuff and have put together all this historical analysis to help, help give us insight. Um, but most importantly, I thank you for your spirit, who is the, the interpreter of these texts. Um, we know that um, we know there's a war going on in the spirit realm, um, but we honestly don't live like it a lot of times. And so I would ask you just in these moments, if you would, um, if you'd help us to step into that more than we are now. I think we all, I think we want to be more moved for those who don't know Christ than we are. I think we all look at life and we, we see that we want that burden. I mean, we want to, to weep for them. We want to pray and to fast for them. But honestly, a lot of times we're just not there. And I pray that maybe just tonight that, I mean, for all of us, but maybe maybe it's just for some, that this would be like that call to action. Um, that burden would be overwhelming. That we would not put up with the fact that strongholds are being constructed, that lies about God are being constructed all around us. And that we would attack those in prayer, we would attack those in fasting, we would attack those through scriptures, we would attack those in in trying to just walk in the spirit. That we would be the examples of the gospel that people need to see, that you would use us, that we would be effective in every way. So, Father, I ask that this would not be, this isn't about guilt. This isn't about feeling bad about what we haven't done or whatever. This is about moving forward. It's about having that same lens that Paul did. And say, look, you can think whatever you want about me, but I want you, you've got to think true things about God. There's nothing more important. And then you call us to action, to step forward. And, uh, Pray that that would begin, that that would continue. And, uh, just, I pray this in uh, Jesus' name. We're gonna we're gonna sing like we usually do, and uh, I think that um, like I told you earlier, I don't know. I, I felt during prayer tonight that there would be something big, you know. Maybe it's not like corporate big, maybe it's individual big, maybe it's corporate big. But I think there's some power to uh, like singing. Like I always like in the Old Testament when you'd see like the armies going, I always say like they were singing. I always wonder what that sounded like. It's probably awesome. And so we're going to spend just, just a second. You just kind of just being with the Lord and kind of thinking about this 
part of the letter and why tonight? Like why we started in August? Why this night, this passage? Why you sitting in this chair and this place in life or whatever? Then we're going to start, the band's going to start in a second. And when that happens, I think we just need to just sing, you know, just let that, I don't know, war cry, whatever you want to call it, kind of stir up in us. Um, and as we close tonight, that it would be about more than, than us, whatever. So you spend some time with the Lord, and in just a second, we're going to start and just, let's just stand, let's just sing.